G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. How are you going? This is the Footyology Audio Podcast pre-preliminary finals preview edition. How are you, Finey? I'm well. How's my old mate, the a little poco roco loco? <laughs> oh, I'm all right. You know, it's been a reasonable week. Um, had the media awards on Tuesday night, which is always an interesting night. We'll talk about that. In oh, briefly a little bit later, uh, been sparring with the odd politician on uh, Twitter. A very funny one the other day, actually. Tim Wilson, the Liberal MP, tweeted a cheesy shot of he and Scott Morrison clad in uh, Melbourne scarves. And I had a bit of a crack at him just saying, oh, no one buys that, that sort of rubbish anymore. And uh, secondly, it's either Melbourne or Demons. It's not Melbourne Demons. And he came back at me, and um, you know, in a light-hearted manner, and uh, had a uh, a uh, literal in his reply. So, being the grammar pedant I am, I came back at him, and then he came back and said, "Yeah, yeah, you got me. Um, shouldn't be tweeting from the House of Reps chamber." So there you go. We've got uh, guys supposedly running the country. Instead, they're uh, taking time to reply to nuffies like me on Twitter. Who does Bill Shorten support? I mean, he's... Uh, he's a Collingwood supporter. Is he? Yeah, yeah. I think he's got. I think he's got. Uh, and I'm not just saying this because he's on my side of the fence. I think he's got pretty decent footy supporting cred. Okay. But we should actually talk about this because it's. I mean, Scott Morrison ten years ago apparently was barracking for the Bulldogs. He obviously jumped off them because Julia Gillard was too closely associated with him. But you can always see through the veneer, can't you? They always give themselves away by making some, you know, some silly error of fact or whatever. I, I mean, wouldn't you rather your your like your PM, for example, just admitted he didn't give a toss about sport? Well, even Keating fell for it. Well, he he he, of course, famously sort of directed his passions, which really were to antique clocks yeah. rather than football teams, to Collingwood, because somebody must have told him that that's the most populous, you know, side and more votes to be won by being a Collingwood supporter. Oh, and good, solid, working-class stock. But um, and there's been some disgraceful efforts, haven't there, of just jumping on and... It's the great divide, you know, between... New South Wales and Queensland and the rest of the country. But I guess where our politicians here in Victoria are as, are as awkward uh, being forced into NRL support yeah, yeah. as they are into AFL support. Well, the other thing that happens this time of year when there's a Victorian and interstate team, you get this thing about, oh, everyone get behind the Victorian team. And as we've discussed this before, we reckon supporters of Victoria clubs don't give a toss about interstate sides winning. They'd rather interstate sides won than their arch rivals. You know, try and convince, if if it was to be a West Coast Collingwood grand final, try and convince non-Collingwood fans, t- take a an a Arden Carlton or Richmond supporter and say, all right, all right, Richmond fan, you got knocked out by Collingwood. Now, 
And this will be on, you know, on the news. Yeah. Throw your support now behind <laughs> Collingwood. Yeah, it's rubbish. Chances zero. Yeah. Did John Howard? I'm pretty sure he supported. He was a, a, a drag. Was he a Dragons fan? Uh, not too sure. Not too sure. I think he was more a rugger man, a union man than a league man. Oh, he's always been a cricket man with that little, you know, with his leg spin. Yeah, yeah, that fantastic delivery in Afghanistan. The triple bouncer. Is, <laughs> that must be one of the most replayed bits of footage of an Australian PM ever. Second most. What's the most? Bob Hawke getting hit in the glasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Both, both good to watch. All right, <laughs> let's get into it. Um, so two massive preliminary finals. I guess uh, probably the most important news story of the week regarding the stuff that matters is uh, Dustin Martin and how bad is his injury. We've had various reports. You know, At the start of the week, there was people claiming he might not even play. Um, I bumped into Neil Baum on Tuesday night, and he was... Uh, He's pretty good at putting it, bringing out the fire hose, Barmy, but he'd had to do that even more than usual this week. He said he'd lost count of the number of people he'd uh, reassured that Dusty would be playing. And then Damien Hardwick on Wednesday came out and said basically it was a bad cork thigh, a fair bit of bleeding involved, and he didn't really train at all on the Monday, but uh, some light training and... Uh, Barmy's line, which I thought was a bit dangerous, actually, was uh, short of someone kidnapping him, he'll be playing. I thought, you don't want to give people ideas, do you? Well, I actually heard that. I heard him say that, and he was, I guess he was thinking on the hop. First of all, I love the fact that we've got a this sort of um, intrigue heading into a preliminary final, because the sort of idea that with modern media and social media and prying eyes and everybody's got a telephone on their camera, oh, and, oh, pardon me, everybody's got a camera on their telephone, that there are no secrets. No, it probably can... is a telephone on their camera. I reckon yeah, most people yeah, use true. it for that rather than making calls. Yeah, yeah. One of my kids was shocked to find out you could make a, to- <laughs> yeah. a phone call on their iPhone. <laughs> yeah. they, they went out and their mum said, you know, give us a call at six o'clock. And they said, how? I don't have a telephone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go on. Sorry. Um, yeah, sort of the idea that now there are no secrets has been laid to bed. And I love this intrigue because it goes back to, you know, if you read the history of football, this um, cloak and dagger stuff about a specific body part of a champion leading yeah. into a game is great. So we have Dustin Martin's knee and nobody really knows, you know. Yeah. Um, Damien Hardwick's crying cork thigh. Um, I think David King was saying knee earlier in the yeah, week. Yeah, that he's been told that it's very serious. Uh, <laughs> I heard Neil Barn say this was a great retort um, that uh, when he was at Geelong, David King had said that there was no way during one of their premiership campaigns, each final that they played, that there was no way they could win that final. So he's got oh, a long yeah. memory because then he said. Well, you know, he said we couldn't win any finals in 2000. It was 2011. 2011, and, yeah. you know, so I don't know whether I'd listen to him about the knee. <laughs> I, that's, Barbie, to be fair, it's a little bit different when you're talking about predicting a result as to getting some inside info on, the, on a body part. But I will say this, that it's been well concealed by the Tigers. Yeah. Yeah, no, whatever it is, you know, they've 
been able to conceal it well. And, and uh, also, Neil Baum talking about the kidnapping was very funny because, I, again, he's had to think on the hop. He's been doorstopped by all the TV networks, you know, even the ABC called him. And I don't think they're – I know this is more media watch, but it becomes part of news, of course. I don't think they're famous for door-stopping football managers, but each time he said he's going to play on the weekend or on Friday, there's nothing wrong with him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then he said the he was really pressed and said, "Will he definitely play? Can you say a hundred percent?" And his response was, "Not unless he's kidnapped." And his implication was that, um, you know, that's I guess in, he said, I guess. In the in the modern era, he said, today, you can never be sure, can you, he, unless he's kidnapped, sort of implying that now something could happen by nefarious sources. But that, of course, that the prehistory to that was that Bob Pratt was run down by a, 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 a lorry or something. Yeah. And he missed a, a final. On the eve of the 35 grand final, yeah, I think. Yeah, so, so that goes back a long way, trying to take out the opposition star. And <laughs> even Farlap, they tried to, you know, shots were fired at Farlap prior to it winning the Melbourne Cup. Well, I just thought off the top of my head then, actually, having spoken to Barmy. Now, we should mention this also, the um, amazing... Uh, scenario over in South Australia ahead of their grand final. Yeah, yes. So um, North Adelaide played five minutes of the last quarter in the preliminary against the Eagles with one extra player on yep. the ground and uh, had come from a 47-point deficit to get up and win. They scored eight points in the period in which they had the extra player and uh, they won by five. Yep. So, an uh, extraordinary meeting on the Monday night to determine Norwood's grand final opponent. And finally came up, the Sandville came up with a solution I don't think pleased anyone much. $10,000 fine and the deduction of four premiership points, which it's over there is two games. Yeah. Um, so, which is ridiculous. Well, you know what? I, I was thinking about it. Um, funnily enough, Barmy uh, coached Norwood, of course, to two flags. Yeah. In one of the, he was saying in one of those final series, Norwood actually won a final when briefly they had an extra man on the ground, but no one had sort of cottoned onto it in time, so they it, it got sort of swept under the carpet. But personally, I, I would have replayed the game because I think now the Sandville will be praying that uh, Norwood wins because if North wins, there'll be obvious issues about it. And had they said the Eagles won, there would have been issues around that. I, I just reckon you replay the game. Yeah, I am staggered. They should have lost that game. But look, the fact that they had the captain didn't call for a count though, which is what the rules say. The rules say. do state that, but establishing that they scored eight points during that period. Yeah. Again, look. Well, you remember it happened here. It happened here in a Sydney North Melbourne game yeah, at Eddie Hat. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the penalty for that. It, <laughs> It just seems ridiculous that they're losing two games next season. Yeah, it's it's for next year, isn't it? The four premiership. Yeah, yeah, players. yeah. I mean, that that is it's, ridiculous. What's that got to do with this? Well, it, it just doesn't. It say it smacks of cop out, doesn't it? Yeah, it says, that's, you know, we, we we think it's serious, but we don't want to stuff up this year. That's what it said. What there is in making decisions is the wisdom of Solomon. So that is a a verdict that is you know so wise that it it transcends expectations and of course the famous 
story of I, I don't know the, the one that comes to mind is you know the two the two boys that both claim that the bicycle is theirs and I haven't heard this parable how do you yeah it's how, a parable so well, how is it resolved you know these two boys <laughs> they got a, a, a wheel each well the two boys claim that the bicycle is theirs this much treasured bicycle these two sons and they both believed it was theirs and they loved it. And so the father said, look, it's impossible. I'm going to get the saw and cut it in half. And one of the boys said, well, that's, you know, okay, fair enough. I'll take my half a bicycle. The other one said, look, let him have the whole bicycle because it's not a bicycle if it's cut in half and it's a beautiful bicycle, so don't cut it in half. And the father gave it to the one that wanted to save the bicycle rather than have half a bicycle because half a bicycle is no bicycle at all. So there's wisdom in that. I think they were looking for the wisdom of Solomon. They might have got the wisdom of Dean Solomon because, I mean, that's not wisdom at all. That, that, there's nothing smart Dean, about Dean that. Dean Solomon's dirty. a very smart guy, I'll have you know. I was just thinking of that, inc- <laughs> that incident <laughs> with Cameron Lynch. I wish you had – oh, yeah, no, that wasn't wise. <laughs> I, I wish you hadn't come up with that parable because it immediately made me think of Rolf Harris's two little boys had two little toys, and that's not really a place you want to go <laughs> these days. Um, no, so, yeah, it's it's – an amazing situation. Can I just tell you one story very quickly of course about, you can. about an extra player on the ground? Yep. Daryl Baldock was made captain coach of Latrobe at an extraordinarily in Tasmania. Yeah, in Tasmania at an extraordinarily young age. And at yeah. that stage I think they were playing in the NTFL, the Northern Tasmanian Football League, which yeah. was a, a strong competition. And remember the rule used to be if there's an extra player on the ground at any time, the team with the extra player loses their score. Yeah. And yeah. that was the Australia-wide yeah. ruling. Anyhow, a, a young Baldock at the age of only 20 was captain coach of Latrobe, and they were playing, and you can imagine in northern Tassie, some incredibly strong wins. And they were playing against a side, and they lost the toss. And in the first quarter, they were kicking into a 10-goal breeze. And Baldock instructed, even though he was captain coach, one of his stewards that when the game settled down after a couple of minutes, to sneak a player on into the back line. Yeah. And so for a good 10 or 15 minutes, they defended and played with an extra player. Eventually, the opposition cottoned onto it. He actually, there were two players, I think there were, he then told them, the steward, to bring the other player on. So they played with 20 against 18, <laughs> and about the 17-minute mark of the quarter, the score was two goals, five to nothing. They The ruse was found out, and their score went from zero to zero. (laughs) But the time clock didn't change. And at quarter time, they only faced a deficit of four or five goals, and by half time was six or seven goals up. Is that true? I've never heard that. Yeah, he did that that intentionally. Pretty unsportsmanlike. Correct, but it's got a touch of the underarm about it, but it it was, you know, it was retold as um, this... Young football genius also had a working football brain. That's a better that's a better outcome than I was expecting. I was expecting something along the lines of uh, they played the two extra men on the ground, but because it was the Northern Tasmanian Football League, no no, no one could count to twenty, so <laughs> they got away. With it. I thought you were going to talk about a head count. No, no. <laughs> no. Well, that was the obvious one, wasn't it? All right, uh, let's move on now. Um, twenty heads, four, ten players, all clear. 
very quickly. We were going to talk Brownlow, but maybe we'll leave that till Sunday night. Yeah, um, And uh, there's could be – oh, no, we'll get to that later. Um, St Kilda Best and Ferris last night. Now, if you're not across this, Jack Stephen won his fourth, fourth B&F with 191 votes from Seb Ross, 175. Jack Steele, third, 134. And the rest of a top ten in order, Gresham – Geary, Webster, Carlisle, Membry, Billings, and McKenzie. Um, a just result? Yep. Yeah, that's definitely a just result. Look, I'm not as bullish about Seb Ross as others are. He gets a lot of the ball. I Watches don't... it a bit. Yeah. I, I, look, he's one of those players that at the end of the game, 34 touches, and you ask yourself, where? When, when did that happen? Where when Jack Stevens gets a ball because he's, I know Jack. I've got to lay my cards on the table. One of the few footballers that I know beyond the boundary, um, and I've always said to him when he walks, he looks like he's um, not able-bodied. He, he when he walks, he looks injured. It's as though somebody has clipped his Achilles, but he can run. Yeah. Um, and when he gets the ball. He's the one St Kilda player that really breaks the line. So you know about his possessions. Yeah, I'm very pleased for him. Um, so it's been talked that he might be headed elsewhere, no, which no. I can't well, believe. Well, Geelong, Geelong um, sounded out. The, he's got two years to run on a contract. Now, he'll, he'll play his career at St Kilda. Can't afford he's, to lose him. He's a loyal, he's a loyal saint and a, and a, and a great chap. And, uh, and interestingly, he has a brother who looks... You know, have you ever seen this rare dynamic of... Brothers who look like twins, even though they're born a couple of years apart. Uh, not really. Jeff Saru had a brother, Mark Saru, who looked identical to him, but yeah. they weren't the same age. Yeah. He played, didn't he, Mark yeah, Saru? He, yeah, well, he played many games for St Kilda Reserves and then yeah. went to Fitzroy and played reserves there but yeah. just couldn't get a game. And then he's got something in common with Mark Williams. Which is? He coached Ajax. Mark's oh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. How did Mark Williams go coaching Ajax? Well, a couple of years in B grade, not bad. I mean, that's a high grade for Ajax. Yeah. But there's word that Mark Williams might end up at St Kilda next year. Hey, what about, um, just, we mentioned the Sandford Grand Final. It sounded like an absolute corker of a Grand Final in the Mornington Peninsula Football League on Sunday where Pines Pines. beat Sorrento with a point kicked after the siren. Uh, There was a streaker halfway through the last quarter. There was, I kept getting all these updates on Sunday afternoon. I really wanted to see it. So people, few people did send, there were a couple of little homemade videos of the end of the game. And uh, I can't remember the guy's name now, but he, a little redhead guy, but he kicked a uh, point from about 40 metres out, um, went, lined up the kick knowing they just had to score. And uh, But it's one of the great... Is that a, yeah, go on. It's one of the great wins of all time because it's one of the great matchups of all time. The Mornington Peninsula Football League spans, you know, covers everything from sort of suburban yeah. suburban beachside Melbourne, you know, up till about Chelsea, you know, Seaford. Yeah. And then all the way down the peninsula. To so, the holiday homes. So Sorrento is one of the, probably the best healed club in Australian local football with the most influential supporters, the holiday homes of yeah. Eddie Maguire, of... Movers and shakers. Scotty and they, Palmer's a big Sorrento footy club. But man. they pour a, They are the absolute. Um, what tales are they? The silver tales. Silver tales of local football, as compared to the 
you know, infamous pines, which yeah. is the housing development in Frankston that, um, you know, long before there were gangs and gang, alleged gang problems in Melbourne, Pines was a no-go zone for anybody but a Pines resident. I, I've got to admit, when I saw the scores and it unfolding, the class warrior in me instinctively wanted Pines to get up. Do you know what Pines, people from Pines say about the Pines? What? It's the capital of Franganistan. So it's a... Does... The former um, North Melbourne and Frankston full forward still play for Pines? Aaron Edwards. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he was playing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many he kicked, but he was playing. Gee, he's a good local. F- yeah. yeah. He kicked. Is he, is he the last player to kick 100 goals in VFL, VF, AFL football? Uh, could be. Was that, that was with Frankston, Yeah, wasn't he kicked it? 100 yeah. with Frankston. I like their colours too, green and red. Yeah. Always partial to footy sides that have green in their... Uh, Guernsey's because no Very AFL rare. size. Yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, it is. It is rare. So just on that St Kilda best and fairest, as we have a program that digresses, you know the one player... Which in is the, unusual. The one player that really um, performed well to get in the top 10 is Daniel McKenzie, and he, I'm really glad for the recognition. He only made the team halfway through the season. Yeah, right. Yeah, he was almost a forgotten player, but one of the few bright things... You know, positive things to come out of the year for St Kilda was his um, claiming of a halfback flank. He's fearless, mm. and his disposal has improved markedly. His left peg's not bad. Well, he's the only member of that top ten who you look at and you think, oh yeah, well there's a that's a that's new, that's a bit different. The rest is all sort of bit ho hum, really, a bit like the Saints' season. So, yeah, and, yeah. And, and he's one of the few there whose first name doesn't begin with the letter J. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, uh, time to move on now. On Footyology, Media Watch. All right, uh, a few different uh, bits and pieces in this segment this week. Um, Trade Radio has kicked up again, and uh, congratulations to the uh, Croc Media Trade Radio guys who won an award for their um, concept and their coverage, obviously pertaining to the last trade period, but at the AFMA, Australian Football Media Association Awards, on Tuesday night. It started up again. You had a, a listen the other day, Finey. What did you pick up out of it? Well, this is unfortunately de rigueur for footballers, managers, just about anybody with something that could be relevant to say. Once a microphone is placed in front of them, they become less cooperative than a, a, you know, a, a suspect with legal representation in a police interview room. Yeah. I, I don't know why they just don't go for the no comment and walk away in handcuffs flagged by their legal team because, mm. uh, you know, this is the launch of Trade Radio and obviously th- they had some big names there to help with the launch, it's impressive when you hear Trade Radio is going to be launched today. With um, the broadcast team will be Tom Lynch and Dan Hannabury and player manager Paul Connors and another player manager whose name eludes me at the moment. And why does his name elude me? Because none of them had anything to say except Daniel Hannabury, who did say that he was dealing exclusively with St Kilda. Hardly groundbreaking news, but... 
at least confirmation that there was only, you know, at least he named a team. Tom Lynch was asked, uh, you're leaving the Gold Coast, you've made, you've, you know, that's now clear, uh, where are you headed? And he said out of respect for the, you know, for the Gold Coast and for other clubs that I'm talking with, I can't, I, I can't disclose anything and there's still water to go under the bridge. And then the interviewer said to him, well, let's just take it as a given that it is written because that's the general understanding. And he refused even then in any part of the discussion to concede that he was going to Richmond. One of the, I think it might have been Paul Connors, was asked a question, a specific question about Mitch McGovern, and he turned his answer into some airy-fairy non-disclosure about players furthering their careers, not because of um, money, never money, never, ever money, never, ever because of uh, the opportunity to play more senior football, never because of the finals, never because of a long, longer contract. Well, if it's none of those reasons, then why do they move on? It's in fact, has to be one of those reasons. It's either go home, more money, finals, longer contract. Yet, these player managers have become so adept at saying absolutely nothing that he denied all four of those could be a reason. Well, I want to throw one in here, a bigger picture thing, which is given that we're in halfway through a final series and the trade period doesn't start until a week after the grand final, why, why are we talking about this? Well, look, it is. it appears as though the sort of um it's not a perfect storm because it's it's sort of longer brewing that that but the the confluence of um the effects of first of all free agency then the ability to get compensation from the AFL for a lost player through free agency has created an environment where basically player movement is now as fluid as it's ever been because mm. player agency was supposed to be about X number of years and then then restricted free agency or free agency is activated. But with that sort of Damocles heading, hanging over clubs' heads, players who do not qualify under that system and are even still contracted with years to run on their contract can go to their clubs and say, look, in one year or two years... I'd be leaving here potentially, you don't get anything. I want to go now, trade me. And that has been, um, that those demands are being met by clubs. So we have this year, it's been fomenting for a while, but now we have so many quality players potentially on the move mm. that I think it has seeped into the season. And it is, look, it is news. Not everybody barracks at Melbourne, West Coast, Richmond or Collingwood. Yeah. And the fans of the other teams are being, you know, their interest in football is being maintained by talk of this very fluid highway of player movement. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely part of it. I reckon there's a bit of a convergence of events here, just looking at it through a media prism. I, I reckon the other half of the equation is that uh, major media outlets are finding it a lot harder to come up with news. 
and um, that this is obvious news, this sort of stuff. But the danger is, and this was always my concern about it, that it will just occupy longer and longer and longer in the football year. And it has. It's been happening for ages now. In fact, the Herald Sun, and I'm not even having a go at them here because I understand why they're doing it, but they've had a trade sort of section and a regular sort of trade free agency, blah, 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 sort of speculation thing going on most of the season. I mean, it's sort of year-round now, um, but part of this is why are media organisations finding it harder to get news? Well, the clubs are better at um, restricting access, if that's... I don't even know if that's a deliberate thing. I don't know if that's true. I think they've always tried to restrict access. Well, I think they produce their own media now, so that's some of it. There's more media competition now, so it's harder to dig up news that is exclusive and fresh. Plus, the perennial now in the modern media environment, when you do come up with a fresh exclusive story it's exclusive for all 30 seconds before you publish it well, I've got, yeah. online and everyone else jumps on it well i've got another theory and that is that our current news breakers are shit at their job i'm just going to come straight out and say it and i'll give you an example look every generation of you know in football Going back, you mentioned Scotty Palmer early. Earlier, yeah. it used to be Palmer's punchlines. Yeah, but there were print journalists, news hounds, yeah. who would get great breaking stories. Mm-hmm. You know how they got great breaking stories, I believe. Well, by cultivating relationships Correct. with the people involved. Exactly right. Mm. You know, by by maintaining confidences, by being able to go out for a long boozy session with players and coaches, yeah. and not. Sp- you know, and never say a word about it. Yeah. And then when there was a good bit of news, you know, a beefy story. Yeah. They'd get the tap on the shoulder and say, you know, mate, here's one for you. Back the other way. I yeah. don't think those relationships have been cultivated anymore. I think the foot in the door style of journalism that has betrayed players, coaches and clubs has come back to bite players on the backside and it you know, it was all laid bare a week ago today in the world of football because, you know, we have had our newsbreakers, and I don't need to name them. Half of them are called Sam. The rest are who, who they want to be. But, you know, to be honest, I don't need to be told about the great breaking story of the Adelaide pre-season fiasco for 20 weeks in a row. Mm. Hang on, what happened a week ago today? That... When the teams were named, yeah, there was a major, major player out of one of the teams that basically meant that that team almost couldn't win. There had not been a single line. Amira. Correct. Yeah. There had not been a single line written about the possibility or any question mark over Amira. Yeah. Now, we know with Dustin Martin there's been speculation. Yeah. So that's not been kept from the public. Yeah. But the newsbreakers... Really, we're left. What job? What is your job if not to tell us that you know there's a question mark over Jay Grow Mira? Okay, couple of couple of points here, um, and I can say this from experience: it's a lot harder to track watch now because a lot of the time we we the entire public, not just the journo's, don't know when the training sessions are yep. because they deliberately. 
yep. keep them private. So it's harder to find out that, I, I guess not through the grapevine, but it's harder to sort of go to training and watch training and whatever. Sure. Most of the sessions are closed. The other point I'd make here, because you did say they're shit at their job, I reckon that's a bit harsh. Part of this is because of the um, lesser resources that newsrooms of any description now have. There's fewer, I can certainly say this from my experience at the age, there's half as many people as there were, and at the same time, there's a 24-hour news cycle because you're not just printing a paper at late at night on one day. You You've don't got... need resources to be trusted by people. I could give you two stories now. No, 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 you're missing the point. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is because there's a 24-hour news cycle to feed, including online, people are, are busily churning out stuff for that all the time. There's not the time to go and have a long lunch with your contacts or to go and have a coffee. Yeah, trust me, Fanny, I've been party to this. There isn't the time. There's this constant demand for we've got to update the website, we've got to come up with fresh fodder, and that occupies a lot of journos' time. Seriously. Yeah, somebody somewhere should have had a strong enough relationship with people at Hawthorne or, or Jager himself to have a sniff of this. And, mm. you know, maybe they didn't. Maybe they were asked to keep it quiet. and mm. Maybe that's part of maintaining a confidence. But at some point, you have to, if that's your job, yeah. I'm just shocked that there was not a single bit of intel. I've got two. I can give you now two stories that have completely not being covered by the media yeah. that I know because of because I have strong and trusted links with, well, in this case, people at St Kilda. Okay, so are you going to do that or are you yeah, just yeah. talking? Okay, well, quick, because it's Media Watch. So well, it is part of... You not, know, I'm not decrying the news value, but yeah, go on. All right. This has completely not been mentioned. Yep. St Kilda's Jack Loney yeah. has been offered a three-year deal by Brisbane. Okay, yeah. And St Kilda, I don't believe, will match, match it. Okay, so Loney could be off to Brisbane. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure. It, I think St Kilda's only offered him a year extension. So yeah. this is one of those ones where either he's contracted or or coming out of contract. Yeah. But uh, Brisbane have made a three-year play for Jack Loney. Okay, that's good. Was it, what? What's the other one? Uh, that Jade Gresham, yeah. who's arguably St Kilda's brightest light, yep. has a year to run on his contract, mm. and St Kilda have wanted to open discussions about contract extension, mm. and he is not interested in a contract extension. Very a marked problem for St Kilda. He waits to see the direction the club is taking next year, but they have been unable to get a long-term commitment from their best, arguably their best prospect. Well, they're two good stories. Well done, finding. Yeah, because I'm connected. connected. You have good relationships with people at the club, so that you've backed up your point ably there. And uh, news hounds, I know you'll be listening to this podcast. We expect to see some sort of uh, written media story coming off that revelation, exclusive breaking news here on Footyology. Jeez, I love going on with all that garbage. <laughs> breaking exclusive. You heard it first here on the Footyology podcast. The other thing I'd say, Finey, is I reckon a lot of the younger journos now, and I agree with what you're saying about building the relationships, I think um, a lot of the younger journos now get into it and don't have the sort of mindset 
that they can venture into pure football territory. Such has become the divide now between if you're a journo, it's got to be news breaking and it's got to be this sort of off-field stuff. And if you, you know, the, the on-field analysis, et cetera, is the province of former players and never the twain shall meet. And I think one of the consequences of that is that the journo, the non-playing types, are looking less at on-field stuff. So injuries, unless it's a really obvious one that everyone's seen in a game, aren't so much news fodder. They don't think to go and watch training. They don't sort of think about, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, so, you know, had Jay Gromira been out the night after the game and, you know, found himself with a drunken disorderly, we might have found out about that. Yeah. You know, that was never going to happen. That's not part of Jake's makeup. But he is a footballer and he can get injured and they don't even, they've got a blind spot to the more, the more likely and very important story of a player being unavailable for a final. Yep. No, no, really good point. Really good point. And uh, again, those exclusives here on the Footyology audio podcast, breaking news as it happens. Um, just so we finish off this week, uh, the, Australian Football Media Association Awards on Tuesday evening. It's always, uh, I, I, I genuinely, uh, love that night because you catch up with so many people you haven't seen for ages and, um, uh, it's always a bit of fun. And what happened this year? We had, uh, well, Brian Taylor emceed it and did a bit of a, a roaming Brian thing on the floor. Um, and that was quite funny. Um, particularly when he sort of intimated that I, didn't have any employment and I was able to rattle off about half a dozen media organisations and then tell him to get stuffed in a very good-natured fashion. Um, so you know, he had a bit of fun with that. He did a great job comparing it, actually. And as uh, far as some of the awards go, just a quick one. This is very in-house. Um, they've revamped some, a lot of the categories. Uh, I think they've done a bit of a disservice to people who focus on the written word because... Uh, a couple of those categories have disappeared, including Best Columnist, which I've been fortunate enough to win on the odd occasion. So um, I, I wasn't too rapt to see the end of that. There's some new categories too. Uh, BT, by the way, won Best Radio Caller, which um, people will go, oh, you're kidding. But as we've discussed, the BT who calls on radio is a very different yep. beast indeed. And yes, I yep. think a, a pretty good, accurate caller. Um, we... we- Telegraphed that we yep said that during the year we said we liked his yep his calls on radio. Um, Anthony Hudson won best TV caller, which uh, I'm a huge rap for Hutto, always have been. Ditto. Um, there was one new award, so they have the you know there's various news, uh, digital blah 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 awards, and then there's sort of two big ones at the end, and one is a new one, the Lou Richards Medal, which goes to the best former player turned media commentator and then the Alf Brown Award and for the younger among you Alf Brown was a legendary football writer at the old Evening Herald and that goes that's sort of the overall prize so uh, congratulations to Chris Judd who won the Lou Richards medal so uh, he's a newcomer to special comments and and media work how have you found him well you may recall earlier in the year on footyology that I said I was Shocked. I was listening to some 3AW. I said this was about six weeks ago. Mm. Listening to 3AW, expecting to, you know, poo-poo Chris Judd. He's on Triple M. Yeah, that's why. 
Right, so didn't hear him, so I turned to Triple M. <laughs> nice, get out. And, and <laughs> that should be a media watch. So, Go on. Yeah, so just listening, <laughs> listening to him, I, you know, I had observed a few weeks ago how pleasantly surprised or unpleasantly shocked. Are they the same things? Pleasantly surprised or unpleasantly shocked? I don't know. I'm still pissing myself (laughs) at the last bit. Um, Uh, Yeah, go on. That um, he was really good. Yeah. Really good. He's, yeah. I think... um, I I think... I would have given that award to Richo this year, Matthew Richards. Yeah. Well, we talked about Richo the other week. He, what Chris Judd does, which is good, is he, he does the serious analysis very well and he, he does make some very particular observations, particularly about midfield stuff, which are really on point. Um, but he's, he's got a good, uh, dry sense of humor. It sort of borders on smart assery at times, but he has got a dry sense of humor. So even his acceptance speech actually was, was pretty funny. So, um. And we have to separate Chris Judd, the football analyst, from Chris Judd, half of the Judds, Melbourne's, oh yeah, Melbourne's, you know, social, social family. It's funny. How unbearable is that? I mean, did you see? Did you see? What, are you having a go at Beck or? No, no, well, just the construct of peering into the lives of, and in Melbourne, we're oh, so yeah, desperate, no, I hate it. desperate yeah. to look into the lives of celebrities that we're looking into the lives of the Judds. And the other day on TV, I saw a tour of the Judds' house where, you know, opulence is the byword and their four-year-old daughter has an ensuite toilet with a, <laughs> with a specially imported Pink standalone bathtub. Okay. Well, good well it's work. hard to separate. You know, <laughs> good when Chris Judd and Becker walking around doing that, you know, I can understand some prejudices when it comes to his football commentary. So he did well to win the award. Well, I, I had an appointment in Carlton yesterday, and um, funnily enough, uh, I had to sort of duck and weave to get in the front door because Beck was out on the front of Rathdown Street doing a segment for, uh, I don't know what the show she does is, no, uh, postcards, postcards apparently says Carl, so Carl loves all that sort of reality you know, TV, you said not she, reality You TV. said she was on Rathdown Street, yeah. that is so close to my ultimate wish for Beck Judd. What's that? I wanted to become a traffic controller, you know the one that holds a sign? Lollipop know, person, yeah. Well not quite a lollipop person because they're, they're for crossings, but more the one that says go or go or slow. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always wanted to do, to do that job. Do you know, okay, can I do just... Do you know why? Yeah, why? Because it would be hard to tell the difference between her and the sign. Why? Because she's like a big lollipop. Oh, no, this is going in a direction I don't... Because <laughs> we all know what the next line of that is, and I don't want to go there. Well, that's, that's you know, girls who are very... That is that is where you're going, okay. Well, girls who are, are, you know, she's very thin, but you can't lose weight off your head. Oh, is that what you were thinking? Okay, yeah, no, I was, no, that, that, I was that, in the term, gutter. That, that sort of term lollipop is used to describe. Um, actually, the seeing, seeing we're doing media watch, uh, 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 might be a good moment to point media out that beach. We're doing. Given, given no, I don't mean that with Rebecca Judd. I mean, you've been bitching. a professional radio person for what twenty odd years. Finally, your ability to constantly roam away from the microphone never ceases to oh, amaze me. Because I, I, I traditionally used. You free form. You had a headset. Headset. Didn't you? Yeah. yeah. No, so I, I could can move I, around. I can see why. Yeah. Um, just another thing on the media awards, <laughs> quickly. Michael well, Ward. Just on, just on microphones. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, hang on. Yeah, go on. 
Okay, just on microphones, why is it that only cricket commentators Have use the, those the, old-fashioned microphones with the guards on them? Yeah, it's a spit guard, isn't it? It's a distance guard. A distance it's, guard, it's to yeah. to make sure that you are a certain I don't know, distance. that's a really good point. That is a really good point. Um, but it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, they're great. But I've, I've, I'd use something like that, but I've never seen... You know what you need? You need one of those things that Anthony Hopkins wore in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, well, that's what I'm more. <laughs> I'm all headgear. <laughs> tied, tied to the freaking mic stand. Love, um, the, love the suit. Uh, Michael Warner from the Herald Sun won, uh, I think it was Best News Reporting, and then he, uh, Mick Warner won the Alf Brown Award. So I want to say... What year did you win the Alf Brown Award? Uh, 96. Well done. Uh, no, it, the Alf Brown Award didn't exist then, but uh, I won the best, most outstanding coverage of football in so, 96, so you, the so year of the mergers. So it's like you won the Coleman Medal in 48. Um, <laughs> Before it was the Coleman Medal, you topped the goal kicking. Oh, yeah, I see, yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. Uh, you know what? Like, I've, I have won a few. Um, but they've been all, they've been in every decade, finally. I've been what, like, did you uh, get a trophy? Uh, yeah, oh, you just get a little premi- replica Premiership Cup. Now, I've got a couple on top of my shelf. Last one I won was Best Columnist in 2015. Um, I've got another one for Features 2008. I won the overall one in 96. I won Best Feature Writer in 89. I won Best Feature Writer in 93. Um, but who's counting? Do you want to keep going? Yeah, this is like that. Do you BT keep your stage. trophies? Yeah, bloody oath, I do. You know, this week we're renovating a, a, do a renovation on the house, not major, but we're knocking down the garage. So this week I was asked the question, all my old cricket trophies, what I want to do with them. Yeah. So uh, when the garbage truck came on Wednesday, it took away all of my trophies. Oh, no, fine. Everyone from under, from under, from my under, first under nine football trophy. Through to batting trophies, through to best player on the ground in an Amco Herald Shield. Remember the Amco Herald yeah, Shield yeah, game? Yeah, I got a best player award in one of those. You let that go. They're all been compacted by the truck. Well, that's sort of honourable in one sense, but I, yeah, no, I, I'm. It wasn't far... really honourable. I was humming and harring, and whilst deciding, my wife was boxing them for disposal. Oh, so you wouldn't have done, you know, approved of it? She, well, I was, I was contemplating what to do with and them. She and got and she sick took, of your indecision. She took that pause, that pause to answer as the opportunity to wipe any record of my previous sporting prowess. I've got to say, one of my proudest possessions is um, a uh, bowling trophy. Uh, a bowling trophy? No, no. Ten pin? Um, no. From a birthday party? No, cricket fine. <laughs> At the age yeah. at the age of sixteen, I spearheaded a uh, premiership win by our firsts. Uh, me and another sixteen-year-old kid were the opening attack. I took nine for ninety-five oh, in good. a grand final. We won by five runs. Nine for ninety-five match figures. Six okay. in one dig and Probably three, three in the, the other. other. When yeah. you said at the age of, I thought you were saying at the age we had a game against the nah. <laughs> the Herald Sun, and I took didn't bother with it. Anyway, I didn't finish what I was saying here. Yeah. Michael Warner. Um, has had an outstanding year, and I want to pay him credit here. He was a well-deserved winner of the Alf Brown Trophy, and it was just by the by. He had a story in last weekend's Herald Sun about the connection between Craig Kelly, Gil McLaughlin, and the sort of boys' club of Great. connections. Yeah. That, and um, it, it was gutsy. Uh, you know, he talked to a lot of people. Uh, there was, you know, I read stuff that I wasn't aware of that made me think, gee, there's some uncomfortably 
close connections in this football media world. But it's also very brave because there's no doubt it has ostracised him from the AFL's bosom. You know, he's had issues with accreditation and stuff. And he's ploughed on regardless. So uh, well done, Mick. Really well deserved and um, uh, really pleased for you. And long may you reign. On Footyology, previews with Punch. All right, down to the real business. How massive is Friday night finally? Richmond Collingwood, first finals clash since the 1980 grand final. Talk of the town, sell out early in the piece. It's going to be massive. What happens? Well, I'm tipping Richmond. I, okay, let's get on with, with the next game. No, I'm going to start <laughs> with the tip. Yeah, okay, all right. I'm tipping Richmond out of respect for their last two seasons of home and away games. Yep. Out of absolute respect for their the finals, the four finals that they've played, three last year, one this year, mm. in which they have controlled matters to a nicety. Yep. Their modus operandi is there for all to see. They are not primarily concerned with their own scoreboard impact in the first half. Their first half is to bring their opposition to a, a dead halt. Totals of two, three, four, and three goals roughly by their opposition at half time means that uh, you know the opposition tactics have been thrown into disarray. The sort of um, team, the whiteboard, the magnets are being thrown around because Richmond have a go button. Now, yep. the big key to their go button is that it's generally Dustin Martin who was let off the leash in the second half. So whilst he may not be injured enough to not play, can he be released? I'm trusting that he is, and I tip Richmond accordingly. Yep, um, I'm tipping Richmond as well, for what it's worth. Um, I think the Martin factor looms largest over this game, and it was prevalent in both their wins over Collingwood. Okay, So they beat the Pies by 43 points in round six, and that was the curious game where there was stuff written after the fact saying, oh, Collingwood would have come away from this far happier than Richmond. And I said, what? 43-point loss? I wouldn't have thought so. Um, Now, the Pies did lose a couple of rotations that day, so that was an issue towards the end. But Richmond were all over them by the end, and it was a perfect example of what you're talking about. Dusty loomed large over that game that day. He had 29 disposals and 10 clearances. thing about Dusty is uh, a high proportion of his clearance wins are centre clearance wins. He is massive out of a centre square, and and the centre square is looming as a big factor in both those games. We'll get to the other one. But obviously, Martin huge in there for the Tigers. Cochin huge in there. Uh, Presti are huge in there. And up against the Pies, you know, Pendlebury, uh, side bottom, Adams huge in there. Trelaw. So, uh, you know, midfield dominance probably is a key here. But I, Martin looms large over this game. The second time around, Levi Greenwood spent at least half the game as a direct tag on Martin. Did pretty well on him. I think it was 51 minutes. I read this yesterday. Um, and Dusty in that time only had six possessions. However, as time went on and he wasn't getting much of the ball, the Tigers threw him forward and he kicked two goals in that same period, went on to kick a third. So he ended up the game, even though he wasn't one of their best players, with 19 disposals, and you know Martin's 19 is always going to be very valuable, plus three goals in a game Richmond won by 28 points, again pulling away in the last quarter. So I'm confident that even if he's not 100% dusty, he will have a big influence either up forward kicking goals or in the midfield acquiring possessions. 
what else do I like about them? Their de- ability to deny opponents their preferred game style simply through intense physical pressure. I think that looms large uh, as a weapon against the Pies because though um, the Pies' disposal by foot has improved, I think it's still susceptible under intense heat, which is what Richmond delivers. Um, I can see the Collingwood forward setup being tested better than it has been by other opponents because of the capacity of the Richmond defence to both play tall and be mobile and agile enough to play on smaller opponents, to wit, Grimes, Asprey, well, Rance. Well, to me, the key player in that, if this was the grand final, I would have had a bit of a Norma Smith bet, is the intercept marking and reading of the ball-in-the-air ability of Nick Floston because Dugowie does rely... He's a, he's a leading forward in the old sense, and there will be air ball, and I think Floston reads it beautifully and becomes a very important player who will come off his own opponent. He's not going to play on Dugowie, mm. but he'll come off <clears> his <throat> opponent and take up that free space between Dugowie and the ball. Yep. So, you know, Dugowie, Stevenson, uh, Thomas, uh, Hoskin, Elliott, they're going to find it a lot harder going, I think, this week. Yes. Um, interesting that they didn't take a gamble on more. I sort of thought they might just for a bit of flexibility at either end of the ground. Um, look, the Pies have been incredibly plucky all year, you know, incredibly competitive given the lengthy season-long catalogue of injuries. But ultimately, I think Richmond is a better team. I think they're more skilled. I think they're they're harder at it. And I think that they, they just gel beautifully. And any rubbish about... Um, you know, whether they'd gone off the ball a little towards the end was put to rest in their qualifying final win over Hawthorne. My one if is this thing about the break. By game day, they will have played one game in a 27-day period. Like last year. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, good good response. They coped with it very, very well last year. So I'm going for Richmond. Give us a margin. I'll go Richmond by 19 points, but that can be a comprehensive 19 points. And if I was a cadet journalist working for uh, the big paper in town and the boss said to me, so what does Ronald Connolly say about the big game? My response is, Connolly says plucky magpies to get plucked. <laughs> yeah. uh, pluck off. Um, I'm going for Richmond by uh, the Richie Beno margin, Finey. 22. Correct. All right, let's move on. Saturday afternoon, and isn't it great, even if it's only sort of happened in de facto fashion, but we have a Saturday afternoon AFL final. How good is that? Uh, 1.20 p.m. game time in Perth, uh, which is pretty early, I That suppose. is early. Yeah, I mean, it's as, early as, for a final, it's yeah. as much as... 3.20 Eastern correct. Seaboard. As much as we love afternoon games... Yeah. I would be discombobulated if there was a one twenty start in Melbourne for my team. In a final. Yeah, in any game. Because there are one ten starts here, Fawny, every are, Sunday. There are, it, it, it is early for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, just got to... That's why the cookie crumbles. It's going to be pretty warm too, I think. Aren't they predicting around 24 degrees? Therein lies some of the challenges that Melbourne have that are unusual. Yep. Yeah, well, look, okay, I'll, I'll kick us off on this one. I think, uh, you know, Melbourne obviously outsiders, but not huge outsiders, and their round 22 win against the same opponent at the same venue 
should give them a heap of confidence. They they were terrific that day, and that was really the start of their. Uh, well, it was a not the start, line in the sand moment. Ever since then, they've been like a, a far more mature and resilient group. So I give them every chance. Two keys as far as I'm concerned. One is um, centre square dominance. The other is uh, speed of ball movement. Centre square dominance, Max Gorn just looms very large over this game. He, It's not just the hit-outs. It's his ability to give first use to those guys at his feet out of the centre square. And Melbourne has been a fantastic centre square team all season. In finals, I think it's even more important... He's up against uh, Lysette and Vardy. Um, now, in that round 22 game, he didn't win the hitouts by a lot, but they won the contested ball reasonably clearly and they won the clearances reasonably clear, uh, uh, clearly and uh, ended up with eight more inside 50s too. So Gorn is the key to them generating sufficient opportunity. The speed of the ball movement is important because we all know uh, West Coast likes to play that zone defence. The quicker you move the ball, the less time you give them to get organised, and Jeremy McGovern in particular, to do that zone-off thing and take the intercept marks. And that's a trap most sides have fallen into this year. Melbourne is capable of quicker ball movement than virtually any other side, and I thought we saw some really good examples of it against the Hawks. Yes, they were hard at it, but some of their um, transition play from defence to attack, in particular... I can't remember who ran into the open goal, but it was from a kick in from Frost started it off, and it was end to end within you know less than ten seconds. They do a lot of that. They are a massive chance, I think, to catch the West Coast defence out as the Demons caught the Hawks defence out. Now, having said all that, I've been a big believer in West Coast this year. I think they've done really well, even after having lost Nat Nui, then losing Gaff. I think they keep finding ways to win. I think. There's some real extra spark and X-factor about the side this year with Rioli and Ryan in. Um, and I think the home ground advantage is pretty big. They've won 10 out of 13 games on that ground this year. They like playing there. They play well there. I think um, the Eagles will win, not by a heap, but I think they'll win by around the 16-point mark. Excellent analysis, and I won't go back over what you've said in terms of um, on-field match-ups and what may happen. I'm tipping Melbourne, and I want to bring another factor in, and I do have reasons on-field, mainly centering around that very strong, hard-added midfield group mm-hmm. that outnumbers their Melbourne, uh, count, uh, their West Coast direct opponents, both in quality, they outstrength them in quality and depth, and I'd be centering my discussion around that. But I want to go to something a little bit external that I think is a factor that comes to play. We've got four teams left in the season. Yep. And we're we're now, I think, comfortable with the four best teams. They deserve to be there. Yep. And when the Premier is finally decided, it, I'm sure we'll look back, like with all Premiers, and say, this is the team that had it all. The, the ability, the cohesion to become one unit the absolute belief in each other. These are important factors in the modern game. And West Coast Eagles come into this game with one player on field and one player off field who would be playing bar a suspension who don't intend to be at the club next season. 
Lysette will not be at West Coast, and Andrew Gaff will not be at West Coast. And I believe at this point in the year, everything has to be pointed as one unit aiming to win the flag. And I that doesn't sit comfortably with me. You know, it's not at the forefront of players' minds, but it is a reality that this is not a team totally united. This is a team with players set to jump ship. And I think this, these slight, these slight um, chinks in the armour develop into large creasing cracks during the high pressure of a prelim or a grand final. Mm. And often not discussed till after the fact. Yep. I tip the team without a single crack on the hull, Melbourne. No, it's an interesting theory and makes sense to me. So uh, Melbourne by how much? Melbourne by three points. All right, I'm going West Coast by 16 points. Let's bring it on home. On Footyology, never again. Uh, never again. I have got one this week, finally. I didn't have to think too long. So the Media Awards Tuesday night, there's a time-honoured tradition with the Media Awards, the after-party at the Precinct Hotel in Swan Street. And I think every single year I've gone... And every single year I've thought, oh, I'll just have one drink and, of course, half a dozen and a carton of smokes and stupid conversations. Later, I've staggered out at, you know, 3 a.m.-ish, got very little sleep and been absolutely wrecked for the next 24 hours at a minimum. As I've got older, that that uh, recovery period has got longer and longer. So I did the discipline thing this year, finally. I left at the end of the function at the MCC, scabbed a ride home off uh, the very uh, generous Ross Flegeltorb of SEN fame, who very generously dropped me off after he dropped Anthony Hudson off. Great bloke, Ross. He is one of the great blokes, Ross. And Huddo, that's a pair. That's a pair I'd sit in a car with. It was, I'd, I'd Uber them around. It was a good. Uh, <laughs> I got, actually caught my first ever Uber ride to the function, and I've got to say it was good and cheap. Um, so yeah, did thanks. Did you rate the driver? I did. I gave him five stars. He did was he great. Rate you? Uh, he thought I was okay. I don't think he understood much what I was saying, but he was good. How do you get a good rating? What do you have to do to the driver to get five stars? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, the car was clean, the trip was quick, uh, and the fare was cheap. They're basically the three category. Anyway, um, so I was home by 12.30, and I woke up uh, yesterday morning, and I was in fine fettle, and I thought, you know what, for some stupid conversation, and, uh, you know, I'm too old to be sort of, you know, sort of, flirting with women half my age. I don't need that sort of stuff anymore. I had a nice function. I went home, got a nice kip, and felt good all day yesterday. So never again will I pretend I'm still in my 20s and go to the after party of any function, Fighting. Good boy. Okay. I basically don't drink. I'm pretty much a teetotaler. You know... Do you get accused of drinking all the time like I do? Yeah, yeah. Of being drunk. Yeah, yeah, like on it's, just my, it's just me. Yeah, no, it was the same. People say it to me on Twitter all the time. We basically are, are we're not big drinkers at all. I mean, we ingest heaps of substances, but we don't. <laughs> no, me. just kidding. We don't. All right, your go. By the way, you said you know you're no longer going to hang out with girls half your age. Yeah, you know, I'm now I'm now closing in on that moment in my life that I've always feared. What's that? Where I don't hang out with girls half my age because they're in their thirties. <laughs> yeah, I thought you say you hang out with girls half your age. They're your daughters. No, no, we're getting well beyond that age. Okay, go on. 
Um, never again will I look up at the screen here at Southern FM to see the ticker tape of news. Now, Carl, is that new? It is new. They've, so they put a screen in here and it has a news ticker tape. And there is one particular story that comes up every minute and a half that is so distracting. I've I, had my back to it. What is it? Quick. It's an extraordinary story. It's about a police are looking for a dangerous driver who, during a police chase, dropped her, his female passenger off at a petrol station whilst he was filling his car up. Now, I am a huge supporter of policing in this state. I think we've got a great police force generally. But how do you not catch a car you're pursuing when it has time to fill up with petrol? <laughs> Well, maybe they just... What, maybe what sort of police chase? <laughs> They're still looking for him. The man stopped at a petrol station and filled up, and you still couldn't catch well, him. Well, they just wanted to be fair for him. They, they, they stopped as well and yeah, filled up. Yeah, they said, hey, hey Dennis, let <laughs> oh, the guy fill up. It's you like know. You know, the comedy movie. And they both stop and do up their yeah, two yeah. <laughs> All right, no, that is crazy. Not belittling the efforts of the magnificent was it Victoria? Yeah, the Victorian police force. Um, all right, suitably comic note to uh, finish. Let's hope we get two great finals yeah, this week. Yeah, they're, that's that's important. They're isn't set it? up to be cracking games, um, and let's have fingers crossed. Uh, of course, if you support one of the teams, you don't care what they're like. But I think the rest of us would love two cracking Would preliminary you? finals. Would you? And look, uh, just quickly, Sunday evening, we're sorting out some issues, but there will be a footyology preliminary final review. Whether it's footyology TV or whether it's another version of this, we'll let you know in due course. But enjoy the weekend of footy, and we'll see you very soon. <laughs>